I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Rep City! Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as always by the legend, Jason Quick. Uh, hi, David. <laughs> hey, buddy. You hanging, are you hanging in okay? Yeah, actually, I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm enjoying this, but uh, I'm making the best <laughs> of it. And uh, as I was telling you off air, I'm yeah. getting fat, David. Yeah. Like, concerning. I was so concerned that I went and online and bought a Peloton. It arrives on the 25th. So uh, after the 25th, I'm going to be getting that six-pack abs. <laughs> Not really. Oh, now, you know, um, I have bands that I travel with, and I I have those in my, set up in my office. So, like, when I'm taking a break from, you know, watching whatever the heck I'm watching right now, I stand up, use the bands a little bit try to keep my shoulder moving because i've got a, a bum shoulder yeah but but i also just ate a family-sized box of cheez-its in the last five days so uh i mean if you're if you've already gotten fat i'm not far behind you i'm i'm trying to catch up basically for me though it's it, the, the smartest move i made was uh buying a lot of wine yes you know having that on reserve yes yeah, I'm gonna sign up for one of those wine home delivery services. They have those, right? Just send, just send me six I'm bottles. Sure. Just send me six bottles every couple of days, so I don't run out. Yeah. So up on the athletic this week, uh, you put out a couple of uh, maybe throwback stories, is, is what we could call them. Uh, the first one is about Scottie Pippen and your time with Pippen. Uh, what's it like to smell Coors Light breath <laughs> from a guy who's six seven? Yeah, that was uh, interesting. It was um, very intimidating. I mean, as I wrote in the article, I was uh, I was shaking afterward, and that was really kind of my first encounter on an NBA beat, being confronted by an NBA player. And I think we all like to talk tough that oh, I'd get right back in his face, but when it's happening, uh, it's pretty frightening. And not that I thought I was going to get decked or anything, but it's just I'm not a confrontational person by nature. And so anytime things get kind of escalated, it's just I don't thrive in those situations. So uh, it was it was quite harrowing. But if you want the story, David, uh, it was during the season when the Blazers were crumbling down the stretch. it was 2000, 2001 season. So it was the season after they had the Game 7 collapse in the Western Conference Finals to the Lakers. And they made a bunch of moves, and they thought they were really kind of reloaded to make another run at the Lakers. And for much of the season, it was working. They sprinted out to a 13-11 record. They won 10 straight at, at one point. But in March... Right at the beginning of March, things started to fray. And it it started on the night that the Blazers retired Clyde Drexler's number 22 jersey. And they played the Vancouver Grizzlies, who were awful at the time. 
And the Grizzlies came into Portland and they beat the Blazers. Three days later, the Blazers were in Vancouver for a rematch. And once again, they lost. And it set the, that kind of started the momentum going in the wrong way. And the Blazers, uh, I think they lost 14 of their final 22 games. And they fell from first place that, that night that they retired uh, Drexler's jersey all the way to seventh. And then they were swept in the first round by the Lakers. So at this time in Vancouver, things are really on edge. And, and at this time, uh, this is the season when Rasheed Wallace had 41 technicals. And Which is he was incredible. Getting, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> he was getting more and more out of control. And a lot of my interviewing and reporting at that time was kind of badgering Mike Dunleavy, like, what are you doing to curtail this? You know, do you have control over him? Why does he keep doing this? And wasn't really getting much headway with Dunleavy. But shortly before that trip, he told me that, look, I have tried. I went to his house, knocked on his door to have a conversation with him. He opened it, saw me, and slammed the door in my face. And so... As he told me that story, I, I couldn't report it necessarily at the time, uh, but I knew that, okay, he's lost the star player and, and things are, they were very, the team very much uh, reflected Rashid at that time. It was very volatile. And so after they lost to the Grizzlies for the second time in, in a week, I started asking guys around the locker room. Uh, you know, what's going on? What's the problem? And I would always kind of come with, does Dunleavy still have this team? And as I'm inter doing these interviews, Pippen is across the way on the in the locker room in Vancouver. Uh, they had these long benches and he was kind of laid back, real casual, like uh, back on his elbows, drinking Coors Lights. He loved drinking his Coors Lights. And, and a little side note is, they used to have beer on the on the Blazers' flights back then. Uh, Paul Allen's they used to fly on Paul Allen's plane back then. Uh, but that year, beer was banned because Sean Kemp was on the team, and oh, yeah. uh, and they didn't want Kemp had some uh, abuse problems, so they banned that. And so uh, Pippen would sometimes just get in his fill before he had to get on the plane, and he was uh, in one of those sessions in Vancouver sipping his beer and watching me. I could feel him watching me. And I don't, I kind of always look over and he was watching me go from player to player. And, and back then there wasn't a ton of media uh, at all these games. There's much more now with bloggers and shoot these NBA teams, let everybody into the, into the locker room. So there was just a handful of us and uh, you, he could hear all my questions because it was that quiet. It got to where it was just me, Damon Stoudemire, Pippen, and a locker room attendant in the locker room. Stoudemire was always the last guy to kind of dress and address the media. And I'm sitting there having a conversation with, with Damon. Finally, it gets to the point where I'm going to ask him the hammer question. The, you know, does, does Dunleavy have this team? Does he still, is he still reaching you guys? And as I'm asking Damon that, Pippen roars 
and springs off that bench and starts heading toward me saying, you haven't been doing this long enough to be asking these questions. And I don't even remember what I said back to him. I, I don't even know if I tried. But I, I know I took steps toward him to kind of meet him. And he was right in my face. And he still had that beer in his hand. And he was yelling at me so intensely that he was spraying this Coors Light spittle in my face. And uh, I remember turning around to look for Damon to because I was close with, with Stoudemire. And I was expecting him to kind of come to my defense. And I looked to my right and he wasn't there. I looked to my left. I could just see the tail end of his body leaving the, the locker room. He's like, he was out, not, not going to offer any support. And uh, so anyways, I, I went back to my computer and my coworker at the time, Jim Besita, I mean, it was noticeable enough to him that he's like, are you all right? Because I was literally shaking and I, I could barely type. But that was really kind of indicative of the depths and the stress and the volatility that that season had reached. And it was only, it was March 9th, I think. Um, there were still 20 some games left to be played. And you could tell that internally that team could sense that this wasn't working. This, you know, this was going in the wrong direction. And, and there was a bunch of reasons why, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the team team had tuned out uh, Dunleavy. Rashid was just simply out of control. You couldn't count on him to be engaged in a game because the refs were getting under his skin so easily. He was ejected seven times that year, suspended twice. So that was just uh, – there was a lot of things going on uh, structurally inside that season. and. That was really when it all became so obvious that you could see it, if that makes any sense. No, no, no. Uh, you know, the weird thing, as I was reading the story, and I, I went and looked at basketball reference just because I was, you know, I wanted to look at the roster. It's not like this was a young team. No. You know, it was built for, to win the championship. Yeah. And, and for the locker room to fall apart like that. I wonder if Pippen felt a little bit responsible or, or at least uh, helpless because this is a guy that knows how to win, had been you know, on, on the Bulls teams with Jordan. and I wonder if that was just a frustrating situation when you had so much talent and the guys just, you know, Rasheed Wallace, one of the most talented guys to ever play in the league and just couldn't pull it together mentally. There's no question that I think one of the one of the greatest frustrations of Scottie Pippen's four years in Portland was that he was never able to reach Rasheed Wallace and lead him and kind of contain him and channel his his emotion in a good way. And I, I think I think at that point he knew that uh, Rashid was just kind of a, this wild Bronco that he was never going to be able to tame. And I think he was a little resigned to the fact that, okay, this guy is just that way, but he's our best player. And he knew that, you know, that the math didn't add up with that. So, you know, there, there, there were many other things to, to come that season. I mean, second to last game, Rashid 
threw the towel in Arvita Sabonis's face. And then after that game, Rashid and Mike Dunleavy went after it in, in the locker room in LA. You know, people tell me that Dunleavy wanted Rashid to come at him, that he was ready to fight Rashid, uh, but the players held him back. And after that, Rashid was suspended a game by Dunleavy. And they, I think they conveniently used the throwing a towel in a teammate's face, but I think it was a collection of that and the, the tirade in the locker room after. And then also, I think just a, a body of work from that season of the 41 technicals and the uh, ejections and all that. So just a incredibly volatile time. And I think it was a little bit of, of Pippen just being frustrated that he couldn't reach Rashid and, and direct him in the right way. Now, have you, have you talked to Scotty anytime recently? I haven't. We, we ran into each other at a blazer game, this season and it was just a very short uh hello how's it going uh conversation and actually it's been like that almost every time that we've crossed paths since he left portland we've never had a a really deep conversation it's always he's on his way somewhere you know it's always at an arena he's on his way somewhere i'm on my way somewhere and it's just we kind of exchange pleasantries but uh, we're on good terms. I mean, we had a lot of, as a, in that article, uh, as it kind of illustrates, we had a lot of incidents where he tested me, he tried to intimidate me, tried to shape my uh, coverage. But by the end, and, and really throughout, we had a pretty good relationship. And uh, there was a tremendous amount of respect on my end. I think I eventually earned his respect. Uh, and we always had a very professional interaction, um, despite a couple of times, like I said, he tried to tried to uh, intimidate me into not writing some things or to punish me for saying and writing some things. Well, I appreciate that you gave him the benefit of the doubt at the end of the piece, because, you know, the, he, he was he was doing what he thought was his job. Yeah. Yeah. And look, a lot of a lot of players, even to this day, uh, do that. They will stick up for their teammates and they will try to protect what is team to the very end, even though they know, uh, hey, this is a messed up situation or, hey, that guy's whack. They will try to protect a team and try to um, protect a season right down to the very end. And so I don't I don't fault him at all. Like I said, I have an immense amount of respect for Scotty Pippen. Just he's one of those guys, even though he's, you know, one of the 50 greatest players in the NBA, you know, he's named to one of those teams. The, the more you're around him and the more you watch him every game, you get an incredible appreciation for just for him and what he does and how he can help the team win. He was absolutely remarkable in the course of a game, just how many different things he would do offensively, defensively, from a leadership standpoint and in huddles. And then just at the practice facility, the way he uh, worked out in the, in the weight room, the way he practiced hurt, you know, I say this in the article that Maurice Cheeks, uh, who was his second coach in, in Portland was just in awe of how Scotty, not only would practice when he's hurt, but the intensity that he, with which he practiced uh, when he was hurt 
and how much of an impact that had in how the team practiced that that day. Uh, he really helped push those teams and made them better because he showed up to practice and said, look, this is, we're not half-assing it today. We're going to go at it. And I think probably Scotty got a lot of that from Michael in, in Chicago mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe being a bully a little bit and, and really setting the tone. And, but it was really important. And it really like to a young coach like Maurice Cheeks, it meant the world that, Hey, here's a, future hall of famer and he's coming and he's practicing and he's given me his all. And so it was just hard not to be, uh, a little bit in awe of Scotty and, and, and really respect him because, uh, there was just this air about him. And, you know, I, they probably haven't had that, that kind of, um, levity or that, that, that element in Portland until Carmelo showed up, you know, I mean, Carmelo's kind of in that same class and ha- kind of has that same air about him, this, this, uh, classy regal superstar. And, and that Scotty very much had an air that was unlike in- anyone else in the locker room. But again, I, th- I still think one of his biggest frustrations was not being able to use that use his all of his talents and status to to change Rashid. uh the the other story that that you've got up this week features some of the best advice for anybody working in close quarters with any other people but also just good advice in general have gum at all times yeah. <laughs> you and i talked about this because uh, you told me this story, I don't know, a few months ago, uh, because so many like reporters and writers drink coffee all the time. Right. Yeah. Coffee breath stinks. Yeah. This is not good. Yeah. It was Damon Sotomayor gave me that advice. Um, I believe it was my first year on, on the beat covering the Blazers. And it was such a, especially now, like going through a couple different iterations of the Blazers with the Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge era, and then now the the Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum era. Those two eras, Dame and, and uh, Brandon, they're joys to cover. I mean, it was really easy. That first, the way I broke in, those teams were so difficult. And they were, they just, they did not like dealing with the media. And so it was always very tense, always very combative. You had to be on your toes. And I was so, when I first started, I was just so blown away by, well, man, what's the problem here? I'm just trying to ask him a question about the third quarter. And what did I do to him? I'm, you know, he's treating me like I'm some kind of dick and I've never even met this guy. And so I was constantly like, what did I do wrong here? And Damon was was always nice. I mean, always. And he was very accommodating for the media. So he became kind of everyone's go-to uh, interview. And and so that was kind of one of my first things like, Dame, wh- what am I doing wrong here? Uh, how can I, how, how can we all break this weird vibe going on? And that's when he told me, man, y'all can chew some gum because some of you uh, 
have some stinky breath. You know, that's just kind of a funny antidote. But throughout the years, he really took the effort to help me avoid more missteps. And the, the earliest one was in that year after the uh, after they lost game seven to the Lakers. You know, there were such high expectations of that Blazers team and they were performing at such a high level. And then, you know, it got down to crunch time, as I was saying earlier in that March and every game seemed so important. And I was just, I was into it. And, and he pulled me to the side and said, dude, you're wearing everybody out with your intense questions, with your hard writing and you know because i would criticize and i'd be how could they lose this game look at what it meant is a team crumbling all this and he's like man you gotta lay off you gotta take a couple steps back because you're wearing everybody out and you don't want to be that guy this is a long season sometimes guys are tired sometimes guys are playing through injury and you need to realize that and so uh it took me a while but i Eventually, you know, now I look back, I've been doing this 20 years and I cringe a little bit about just how intense I was and how just everything was pedal to metal with my questioning, with my writing. And sometimes you need to let things breathe and sometimes you need to go, you know what, they just didn't have it tonight and or the other team outplayed them. That happens in the NBA. Sometimes Rudy Gay hits eight threes or something and you just got to tip your hat. So. That was a learning process, but he helped me uh, early with that to to let me know that, hey, the guys are talking and you're coming a little too hard, you know, back off, ease up a little bit. Uh, and, and so that was really valuable. I mean, it, it you know, it is a marathon and it's funny because yeah. <laughs> having to write about it every day, it's tough. It's tough. I think, I don't know, because I've never had to work a beat, but I feel like it would be really tough if you didn't act like the games were actually important. Yeah, and that was tough. But I think it was more it was more my uh line of questioning and more I think I was more critical than I needed to be about every little thing. You know, and I I was new. I was very new to the NBA when I was assigned to the Blazers. Like when I was given the the Blazer beat, I couldn't even name the starting five. I didn't follow the NBA uh, religiously, and I'd kind of fallen out of touch with uh, those Blazers. I was I was a huge Blazer fan during the Clyde Porter, Kersey days, but then I kind of drifted away from that. So, but when I joined and started covering them every day, I was in awe of the talent mm-hmm. and watching it, and it was just like. Jesus, Rashid's 6'11", and he's draining threes. And he's, I, I was just amazed. I, I remember one time uh, they were playing, the, the Blazers were playing the Pistons when Grant Hill was there. And this is back when we sat on press row on the court. And Grant Hill, man, before he got injured, he was amazing player. Amazing. And the speed in which he ran down the court, he... He ran by us on press row and papers picked up and moved because the uh, breeze that he created. I mean, he was that fast and that 
it glided. And it was just, I remember just going, oh my God, constantly in those early years, I was just, I was so uh, amazed at the, the competition and how intense it was. It was everything that uh, went against what non-NBA fans say, oh, they don't try. Oh, they're just this, that. It's like, no, man, these guys go hard and they're incredible, incredibly skilled. And so I think that made me think that, geez, I'm covering something big here and I need to have that that tone when I wrote. But you can't do that every every game and, and every uh, practice. So it was nice of Damon to to kind of pull me aside and say, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Quit trying so hard. Right. Basically. So what what did you do before you started covering the Blazers? Directly before it, I was uh, covering the University of Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. football and basketball. Uh, and then before that, I was kind of a feature writer and I covered women's basketball, the Portland Power, the professional women's basketball team. And I covered the Seahawks for two seasons. So I was kind of uh, I was kind of all over the place. But a lot of features, and then they'd kind of plop me in on these beats, the Seahawks, uh, the women's basketball, and then University of Oregon. But then the uh, Blazer beat opened, and they, they moved me in. How, did you enjoy college, covering college more than, I mean, probably not more than the NBA, otherwise you'd be doing that right now. But did you enjoy covering college? I did. I, I really did. Um, but. I I enjoy the NBA more. I think um, the college was very. I don't know. It's different because it's two different eras. I I covered U of O uh, in the late '90s, and then I went back and and did it during the Marcus Mariota years. And it's just different, different eras, different regimes uh, as far as access and all that. But <clears throat> I did enjoy. I I really enjoyed speaking to college students and I, I think it's that's a neat time to tell their story because it's a very formative time in most people's lives and so as a storyteller it was uh, a lot of material there and I, I really enjoyed that yeah and and they're not so jaded exactly all of the attention yeah. yeah yeah I get that I mean one of my favorite things is talking to the guys at Hoop Summit or at USA camp before they've right. gone off to college and you know it's it's such a different beast than you know once they get to the NBA and they've started doing their media training and all that stuff. You actually get to yeah. you can sit there and get to know the guy uh, a little bit without all the pressure of hey I got to be on TV every day. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, what do you got coming next week? Something big? Well, on uh, I don't know when this will hit, but. I will do another uh, story, and we're calling these uh, Trailblazer Tales. So we had Scotty Pippen, Damon Sotomayor, and then on Friday, uh, one on Rashid Wallace will drop. And uh, there's a couple good little anecdotes and scenes from that uh, that should pique your interest, I think. Uh, one was him charging at me in, in San Antonio and Steve Kerr and, and Rick Brunson kind of helped escort me out of the locker room to protect me. Uh, and then my first ever interaction uh, with Rashid Wallace was during the 99 playoffs. And I was in Utah and I was interviewing J.R. Ryder. And 
I'll just say uh, Rashid Wallace made an impression on me during my interview with with J.R. Ryder. So Rashid was a very interesting, interesting figure to cover, interesting uh, era of Blazer basketball. And I, I try to capture that in, in some of those stories. And then after that, uh, I've got one more on Dale Davis, who, you know, one thing I, that as I was writing these, I'm like, dang, I'm writing about all these stories of confrontation and uh, kind of unrest. And I, I don't really feel like that's indicative of, of, of like my time covering the Blazers. These are very I- isolated incidents, but they kind of rise to being interesting just because confrontation sometimes is interesting. But uh, I, I wanted to tell a story and and kind of depict the uh, another side of doing the beat and which is when you find a guy who's really fun and cool to be around and Dale Davis was one of the most enjoyable people to cover and to, just to be around on a daily basis uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I want there's three or four stories that I'm, I'm going to tell one playing blackjack with him in New Orleans uh, before a game and then there was one time when I I challenged well I wrote in a story that he was slow something of that nature the, the top the hot word was slow you think I'm slow and I was like well yeah he's like let's run and so we we planned this race where we were going to go from one end of the court to the other and back and we set a date for it. This is in front of everyone in the media and all this, you know. And so the day comes and I don't know if I should blow the whole story. No, here, don't. But, don't. Yeah that's, yeah. that's what's called a tease. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> a bunch of great Dale Davis stories. He was just so fun and he was interactive, you know. He, he was you, you didn't just interview him and then it was done. You, you got to know him and he was uh, he, he had this big gruff personality but you know on the on the outside but he was really a, a teddy bear and a really sweet guy really fun guy and so I, I really wanted to capture that after three stories of all these confrontations and stuff so anyways yeah that's I'm, well i'm i'm excited uh i love this kind of stuff i mean this is actually part of the reason why i really love doing this podcast is because you you tell your stories so uh, everybody go look at that stuff uh, read the Pippin story read the, the Stoudemire story they're really good and then uh, you know we'll be back to talk about the other stuff right on both things play hard both things play hard God bless and good night